Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. When you decide to preach through a book of the Bible, like we did when we decided to make our way through this New Testament book of 2 Timothy, every once in a while you'll come across a specific passage at a specific time, and you'll think to yourself, huh, that's not the timing I would have chosen. And that's exactly what happened to me as we turn our attention today to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I had about two weeks to sit on it and to think about it. And so eventually I kind of came to this thought, well, let's just make the best of it. We can just make the best of it. And then the last couple days, it hit me. This passage is absolutely perfect for you and me today. And I'm really excited because I think it's going to inspire you, and I really believe it's going to help you. So without any further ado, I just want to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, Paul says, there will be terrible times in the last days, the last days, the last days. Over the last three years, maybe you've heard people talking about the fact that maybe we're in the last days. Or someone's asked you, do you think we're in the last days? And the answer to that question is yes. So let me explain for just a moment. Last weekend, we celebrated Easter, and we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you exactly how you are right now, so much that he stepped into human history. He lived, he died, he rose again. And after Jesus rose again, he stuck around for about 40 days. This is historical. He stuck around 40 days and he met with individuals, he met with small groups, he met with large groups, up to 500 people. And near the end of the 40 days, Jesus called his closest disciples together and he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. After I ascend into heaven, I want you to head to Jerusalem and wait there because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and so the disciples do exactly what Jesus said. They head to Jerusalem, and they wait for 10 days. And 10 days later is the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and the disciples are empowered. They receive power just like Jesus said they would. So much so that one of the disciples, Peter, gets up, he preaches this courageous message. The same Peter that 50 days earlier was so scared that he was denying that he even knew Jesus stands up in a potentially hostile environment and he preaches a courageous message about Jesus. And on that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. So, the minute that Peter preached that message, the clock began ticking on the last days. That was the beginning of the last days. Okay, so the last days are a time of already but not yet. The last days are a time of already but not yet. See, when Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that promise wasn't just for those disciples, it was for all of those who will follow Jesus, including you and including me. So in other words, the minute that you put your faith in Jesus, Romans 10 verse 9 says it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In that moment, you will receive power. Psalm 23 puts it this way, God will restore your soul. Ezekiel 37 says it this way, God's going to put a new spirit in you. For our purposes today, I'd like to describe it this way. 
go back to the very beginning. And God created the first man, Adam, from the dust of the earth. And there's Adam in the Garden of Eden, perfectly formed, perfectly shaped, just lying there. And then God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam was alive. When you put your faith in Jesus, and you might say, by the way, oh, my faith isn't that strong. You know what Jesus says? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, he can move spiritual mountains in your life. When you put your faith in Jesus, he breathes the breath of life into you. You become alive. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life in that moment. Fully, completely, totally, eternally alive. Fully, completely, totally, eternally free in that moment. But I talked about the fact that the last days are kind of the already but not yet days. Let me explain that because... You're spiritually completely alive. Jesus said it this way to his disciples. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you put your faith in Jesus, even faith the size of a mustard seed, you're spiritually completely and totally alive, totally free, eternally free. But your flesh is weak. Your flesh isn't like your skin and bones. It's your mind and your will and your emotions. Your mind and your will and your emotions. Your mind and your will and your emotions. They're not there yet. Are we there yet? Not yet, right? Your spirit is free, your spirit is alive, but your mind and your will and your emotions aren't quite there yet. And the journey of life in these last days is slowly but surely what is already true of you spiritually, that you are free, that you are alive, that you do have hope, that you do have joy, that you do have strength, that more and more that freedom, that life, that strength that's already true for you spiritually would become manifest in your mind and your will and your emotions, you will receive power. You will receive power, that's the plan. That's the already but not yet aspect of the last days. So the last days began the moment that Peter preached that message on Pentecost. Well, the last days will end when Jesus comes back. Jesus is gonna return. And when he does, what is already true of you spiritually will become true of all of creation. He'll restore creation. Everything will be new, new heaven, new earth, new body. So we're in the last days. It's interesting because there's two major views about the last days. Well, there's actually a lot more than two, but to keep it simple, I'm gonna talk about the two extremes when we're talking about the last days. The first is called post-millennialism. Post-millennialism. Post-millennialism believes this, that things are gonna keep getting better and better and better and better, and then Jesus is gonna come back. That's post-millennialism. Now, not surprisingly, post-millennialism was a lot more popular before the 20th century. Okay, because in the 20th century, we had World War I, where millions and millions and millions of people died, and they called World War I the war to end all wars. And near the end of World War I, there was the Spanish flu pandemic, which killed more people than World War I. And then there was the Great Depression. And then along came World War II. So World War I turned out not to be the war to end all wars after all, because World War II killed 10 times more people than World War I, including six million Jews who were slaughtered by the Nazis for no other reason than they were the wrong nationality. World War II ended, by the way, with the United States of America dropping nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. And that began the nuclear age or the nuclear arms race. 
where the United States and the Soviet Union possessed enough nuclear weapons to obliterate our Earth thousands and thousands and thousands of times over. And historians will tell you that in the late 20th century, the only thing at times that kept the Americans and the Soviet Union from obliterating our Earth was something called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. If I push this button, we're all dead. Not surprisingly, post-millennialism was not as popular at the end of the 20th century as it was at the beginning. The second major view when it comes to talking about the last days is pre-millennialism. Basically what that says is things are just going to keep getting worse. And then Jesus is going to come back. More enmity, more division, more violence, more hatred, and then Jesus is gonna come back, and as we read through 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse one, it seems like Paul is a pre-millennialist, because he says this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I think we gotta remember at times that what we call the book of 2 Timothy in the Bible is actually a letter. It's a letter written by Paul to his best buddy, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy is a pastor in a city named Ephesus. Because this is what's shocking. In the last days, in this context, this is what Paul's saying. Things are gonna get terrible. In the last days, things are gonna get terrible. In the church. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church. He's not talking about out there. He's talking about the church. And then he goes on to tell us why things are going to get terrible. And the reason things are going to get terrible in the church is a whole bunch of terrible church people. And Paul is about to give us a very, very, very long list of terrible church people. And this is why I didn't think the timing was great. Like last weekend, we celebrated Easter. We had just about 3,500 people come. We set attendance records all over the place. And I know at a church like Southside, whether you're joining us online or in person, you've probably figured this out, that if we have 3,500 people show up for church, many of those people are here for the first time in a church or for the first time in a really, really long time. And one of my major goals on weekends like Easter is to say, hey, 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 come back next week. God's got an amazing plan, not just for uh, CEO, Christmas, Easter only. God's got an amazing plan for every aspect of your life. Come back. And so they come back. And if you're here for the second time, online or in person, and you show up, and here's the deal. Today we're going to talk about terrible church people. It just didn't sound very fun to me. <laughs> Little dismal, right? Little depressing, but then it hit me. Oh no, it's perfect. Because if last week was your first week in church, or your first time in a long, long time, I'm gonna give you a list, and you're gonna say, yeah, that's right, that's why I stayed away from church. It makes perfect sense to me. Here's the problem with terrible church people in the last days. People in our world people in our city, people in our neighborhood, they're not looking for us to be perfect. You know what they're looking? They're looking for us to be powerful. They really are powerful. What did Jesus say? You will receive power. You will receive power. That God breathes the breath of life. That yes, it's true, my spirit is willing, my spirit is free, and my flesh is weak, but less and less. That more and more my mind and my will and my emotions will be transformed. That what is true of me spiritually, more and more and more will become true of me in my mind and my will and my emotions as well. 
Gandhi said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. Seems kind of dismal, you know? But he's writing this letter to his best buddy. He's writing this letter to Timothy. And, and, and I don't think what Paul is saying here, by the way, is, hey, Timothy, uh, your church is terrible and you're terrible. The end, love Paul. What he's saying is things can get terrible, but they don't have to. Things can get terrible, but they don't have to. So if you're here for the first time or the second time, or by the way, the 400th, things can get terrible, but they don't have to. Jesus said of the church that we're supposed to be a city on the hill. A city on a hill. I want you to think about that. In, in ancient times, a city on a hill, there, there's travelers and they're wandering around and they're lost and, and, and they're hopeless and they can't, they can't figure out where they're going and they think they're going to be wandering around forever and then they see a city on a hill and they find hope. Jesus says, you're going to be the light of the world. That when the world feels dark and overwhelming, you're going to offer light. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. When it feels like there's a lot of decay out there, we're going to bring preservation. We're going to bring flavor. Maybe I could put it this way. Jesus' plan for the church is that if the world gets dry spiritually, we're an oasis. That's the plan. That's the plan. And I love this church. I love Southside. One of the things that I think attracts all of us to showing up every Sunday. I show up here every Sunday because I don't think we are a terrible church full of terrible church people. But it hit me. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, you know what I want to do today? I just want to get terrible. You know, that's my dream. Everybody has a dream, that's mine. Just want to become a terrible person today. It can happen little by little. So I love this list because it calls us back and reminds us who we are and who we're really called to be. And by the way, in case as I go through this list at any point you think I'm lecturing and pointing fingers, I want to ask you a few questions. Statistically speaking, in this room of hundreds of people, who do you think the most likely person is to go off the rails? Statistically speaking. Statistically speaking, who do you think is the most likely person in this entire room to confess Jesus with their mouth, but deny him with their actions? Statistically speaking, who do you think is the most likely to lead a double life? Or how about this one? Statistically speaking, who do you think if they go off the rails could do the most damage to the cause of Christ? If you said the wing that on stage, you're right. So we talk about dismal and depressing list. You know what I find a little bit dismal and depressing? Is that I don't feel like a week can go by without me hearing about another church that exploded or another leader who went off the rails. Doesn't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. Hey, the world, the world, by the way, they're not looking for you to be perfect. They're not looking for me to be perfect. But they do want to see us powerful. That little by little by little, what is true of me spiritually would become manifest in my mind and my will and my emotions. Terrible church people. You ready? Paul starts out this way. People will be lovers of themselves. Now I'm going to stop there just for a second because this is kind of the foundation. This is the one from which all the other ones sort of spring forth. I just said spring forth. That was weird. But you know what I mean, right? That's where they come from. Okay? So it's where they come from. Lovers of themselves. And at first glance, you say, what do you mean? We're supposed to hate ourselves? No, absolutely not. Supposed to be disdainful of ourselves? No. 
Supposed to be humiliated? Absolutely not. Maybe a more useful translation of this would be this. People will be worshipers of themselves. People will be worshipers of themselves. People will come to a point where they'll say, um, I'm depending on me to save me. I'm depending on me to save me. I'm my source, I'm my hope, I'm my strength. I am my savior. It's really odd too. Because you know who this can happen to a lot? Church people. Especially long time church attenders. This can happen little by little by little. Let me show you how it happens. So you get to a point in your life when you call out to Jesus. For me, it was the middle of the night in the middle of January in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. I was at the end of myself and I called out to Jesus and he saved me. And your story is probably different. Maybe you weren't at the end of yourself outwardly. Maybe you were really successful, by the way, but something inside of you said, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more, and you called out to Jesus. And in that moment, he breathed the breath of life into you. You went from spiritually dead to spiritually completely and totally alive. And little by little by little, what was true of you spiritually became more and more and more true of your mind and your will and your emotions. And you know what's crazy? He began to change you, and as he was changing you, he changed your marriage, he changed your family, he changed your relationship with your friends, he changed everything about you. And one day, you never saw this coming. One day, you woke up and you thought, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Specifically, I'm doing better than them. You know those ones out there. Anne Lamott is a writer I really like. She says there's three prayers that matter. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And wow, wow, wow. Longtime church attenders forget to say thank you and forget to pray wow. And maybe they stop remembering when they had to pray, help me. Do you get what I'm saying? So we forget where our help comes from. We forget that that same God that breathed the breath of life into me, I need him to breathe the breath of life into me today. If he stops breathing, I stop moving. Like I need him as much today as I needed him in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer. I always will, but when you're in church for too long, you can start to forget that. And you go from saying, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, wow, you love me, to you're kind of lucky to have me on your team now that I think about it. <laughs> and without realizing it, next thing you know, you become a bit of a Pharisee. Where you start taking pride in your behavior and your beliefs, and you start comparing yourself to other people who don't know or don't get it like you do. Paul says, I'll tell you what, that's terrible. That's terrible. So you never stop praying, help me. You never stop praying, thank you. And you never stop praying, wow. Don't ever lose that. Paul says, don't ever lose that. The world doesn't need you to be perfect, but they need you powerful. So don't start living as if it's up to me to save me. You know it doesn't work. Because if you do, things are going to get terrible. Here's the list. People will become lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. First uh, draft I wrote of this sermon, I went through every single one of those. We'd be here till Labor Day. It was fun. You would have loved it. Probably not. You probably would have laughed eventually. But, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to break it down into four places that we can slip up. So once we get to the point where we've subconsciously, little by little, we've come to the point where we think, man, it's up to me to save me, it's going to manifest itself in four ways in your life, four ways that we can become a terrible church person. Number one, you become a lover of money and or a lover of pleasure and or prideful and or abusive. If I live my life with the subconscious belief that it's up to me to save me, I could become a lover of money. People say money can't buy you happiness. Money doesn't buy you happiness. If anyone ever says that to you, say this, give me yours and I'll let you know. <laughs> give me yours and I'll let you know, know it all. Money can't buy you happiness. Yeah, yeah, I know. But we live in this world where we all innately get this. We all innately know money can't buy you happiness. We all innately know that money doesn't make me smart. Money doesn't make me sane. Money doesn't keep me safe. It doesn't make me successful. Money doesn't make me somebody. We all innately know that, and yet, and yet, there's a constant temptation in our world to live as if it does make me safe. It does make me sane. It does make me smart, successful, and somebody. And that's the temptation. Paul says it gets terrible. It gets terrible in the church when people love money. Some people say that the Bible tells us that money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says, please hear me, the Bible says the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because I want to stand up here, and maybe if you're here for the first time or the second time, this might kind of shock you. Money is awesome. Money is great. It's fantastic. What an incredible tool money is. But the problem, Paul says, is when you love money, especially in the church, when you love money, what happens is you're gonna end up using people and using God because you love money. But what you've done is you've flipped the script because God's plan is that you would use money to love him and love people. Does that make sense? But we're weird in church about money sometimes. We are, we just are. Like, we come to church and someone sings a great song, you know? And, and I hope if you see him in the lobby later, if you're a relatively nice person, that you'll say to them, great song, you really belted it out. That was amazing, good work, you know? Or we notice that someone is on the welcome team and they're at the door. And it's amazing, even though we've had hundreds of new people come to Southside over the last few weeks, they still remember names and they still make everybody feel important and welcomed. I hope if you're a relatively nice person that you would walk up to them and say, you're awesome, thank you. Thank you for being so friendly and so amazing, or you have an enthusiastic, energetic, Southside Kids volunteer. I hope if you're a relatively nice person and they're looking after your kids right now and inspiring your kids right now and loving your kids right now, that you get them a $10 card from Starbucks, number one, and then number two, you would say to them, thank you so much. And so amazing the way you inspire our kids. I know you're a little bit tired sometimes, but you always bring energy and you love them. And you're giving them seeds of truth that they'll carry with them for the rest of your lives, th their lives. Thank you. 
Or you have a Southside youth volunteer. Not that it's not super fun working with middle school and high school kids. It's amazing. But everyone, you know, they, they, they just keep going and they do it. And they love those amazingly easy to handle and get along with kids. And you go, I hope if you're a relatively nice person, you give them $15 at Starbucks and you say, thank you so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But then somebody gives a bunch of money to the church and they seem shocked because I walk up to them and I go, dude, do that. Amazing giving. Whoa, you nailed it. And they're like, huh? Oh, yeah. You know, if somebody gives to Southside for the first time, I send them a text. And almost every week I send a group of people that have given for the first time, I send them a text, and somebody texts this back. They say, this isn't Mike. This is a bot. I don't even know what a bot is, but they say that sometimes. It's a bot. And I'm like, no, it's not a bot. I'm fired up. That's cool. Money is so cool. It's such an amazing tool. We can use money to love people. Isn't that cool? We can use money to trust God. Isn't that amazing? We can celebrate that. People say to me, you don't get weird when you talk about money. And people don't get mad at you. Even the people who don't give, they don't seem to get mad at you. Why is that? I'm not sure. One thing I know is I don't love money. I got a lot of faults, but I don't love money. So I'm definitely not up here going, please give please, I want to buy a jet ski. And if I do, it's going to meet my deepest needs. You know, it's just all I need in life. No, what I think is, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you jump off the hamster wheel of false promises that our entire culture is always pulled towards and step into a place of blessing where God allows us in our generosity to not only be a blessing, but here's what's just mind-blowing. That's my mind-blowing. Did you see that? Okay, we're blessed. We are a blessing, and we are blessed. That's the plan. But imagine, could you even imagine this? Could you imagine how terrible it would get? Could you imagine? Have you ever heard a story? Maybe you have. Could you imagine a church where instead of loving people and loving God, they loved money and used people and used God? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Paul said, watch out. People can become lovers of money, also lovers of pleasure. Pleasure's awesome. God made pleasure. How great is pleasure? It's great. Food. Someone said to me the other day, food is a fuel. You must view it that way. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's not just a fuel. It's so amazing. The junkier, the better. I love food. I remember when Corinne and I started dating, we met at Trinity Western University in Langley, but we're both from Red Deer. But we didn't meet in Red Deer. We met in Langley, which is another story that I'll tell you another time. Um, but, but we would take all these road trips back and forth between Red Deer and Langley. It's about a 12-hour drive. And Corinne showed me something on those first few road trips, that you got to know how to stagger the junk food on road trips. You go salty, sweet, salty, sweet, salty, sweet. It's amazing. It just opened up my eyes to a brand new reality of life. Half of you are looking at me right now. Okay, all of you are looking at me right now going, are you crazy? Here's what I'm saying. Can you imagine a God that decided, hey, I'm going to give you flavor and salty and sweet and it's going to be amazing. God created pleasure, food and drink and sex. So sex is awesome. So great. Sex is great. That's another thing about churches. We get weird about sex sometimes too. You know, we call a group of high school, middle school kids in and we go, young people, 
Young people, let me tell you something. Sex is gross and dirty and evil and wrong. Save it for the one you love. Hmm. By the way, I said earlier, you know, a week doesn't go by anymore where I feel like I don't hear about another church exploding or another church leader going off the rails. You want to know why? It's probably this. It's probably this. See, the order of operations is this. We follow God, and as we follow God, we find pleasure. It's amazing and good. But if we chase pleasure, pleasure, we find bondage. Because pleasure is not my savior. And if I turn to pleasure to be my be all and my end all, if I worship pleasure, enough is never going to be enough and I'm gonna get on this cycle of enough is never enough is never enough is never enough. Paul says, hey, the world, the world, the world doesn't need you to be perfect. What they're looking for is for you to be powerful though. That you'll receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, that you'll be made new, spiritually fuller, fully free, and fully new, and more and more, that freedom and that life will be made manifest in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. That's a plan, but Paul says, you can derail that plan, things can get terrible, if we're lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, or if we're proud. He even mentions how we can be prideful between generations in a family, where the kids rebel against the parents, the parents don't like the kids. Happens in a church too, right? Next thing you know, we're like, oh no, we're it. This room, this room is it. You know the real ministry is happening right now? Well, it's happening in this room, I hope too, but you know there's a bunch of kids over there getting loved on and we celebrate that and we can't ever forget how important they are and how they're a part of our church right now, right? And the middle school kids, okay, they're part of the church too, okay? So, so <laughs> you know, but then the, the, I was going to say the old people, the wise people. We desperately need them. We value them. We celebrate them. We, we honor our kids. We honor our middle school, schoolers. We honor our high schools. We, we embrace all of it. The problem with pride, and he talks about being boastful, being proud, being conceited. The problem with pride is it always ends up in, in two things. Number one, you're unchanging, you're inauthentic. You're unchanging and you're inauthentic. You're, if you're prideful, you don't change. Because you're not looking for feedback, you're looking for fans. He says here, they're always learning but never coming to knowledge. Always learning but never coming to knowledge. You know what that means? I'm always learning but I'm never coming to a knowledge of the truth. I'm always learning, always learning. That's, pride, that, that's proud people. They're always learning. What are they learning about? What they believe. They're just learning what, new ways to tell you that they're right about everything all the time, and they never learn, except when it's about the stuff that they already know or think they know. Unchanging, unchanging. Prideful people decide, I am exactly who I am, and I don't need to change, and that's the point, and I've said this before, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. And the world looks at you and says, don't need you to be perfect, but how about a little power? How about a little change? How about a little, you're a little bit different 17 years from now than you are today? How about that? Prideful people become unchanging. The second thing that happens is they become inauthentic. 
Jesus said the spirit is willing, spiritually, completely alive, but the flesh is weak. You know, the flesh is weak. My mind, my will, and my emotions, they haven't caught up yet. (laughs) They probably won't on this side of eternity, but more and more they will. But prideful people can't admit that. It's weird because the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, you know what? It's amazing. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing them. But prideful people are like, not me. The spirit is willing and the flesh is not weak. The problem with that is that's inauthentic. That's not true. That's not true. And so the same world that just really doesn't need you to be perfect, but they do need you to be powerful, maybe they do kind of set foot into your church and they know they got some struggles, right? That they're not perfect. And they walk into your church and they realize, oh, we're all playing the all good game. Everybody's all good here. It's not okay to not be okay here. I don't think I'm welcome. Paul said that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Terrible church people, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, prideful and finally abusive. The context here, when he talks about rash and brutal and abusive, slanderous, it's verbally abusive. But I wanna go back, right? So you've come to the point where, little by little, you've come to the point where you think, it's up to me to save me, that I'm my own savior, that it all depends on me. Well, when you go down that road and when you start to think that way, here's the thing, you eventually have to view, the, view life as a movie about you. And when life is a movie about me, who are you? You're a supporting actor, man. Just play your role. This character arc, this is me. And it's a beautiful arc. And it ends in success and fame and fortune and stuff. And you, listen, listen, listen. The, the movie's about me. You're a supporting actor. Just play your role. Just do your part. And when I start to view life as a movie about me and everybody else is a supporting character, well, then, of course, I could get abusive. Because your only value now is, hey, give me an arc. Give me a beautiful character arc. Talks about being treacherous. Treacherous people. Treacherous people are bad in the church. When I was in high school, I had this buddy. um, He's like, you're so gullible. The you're so gullible guy. Have you ever met a you're so gullible person? So he would, what he would do is he came up to me one day and he says, dude, great news. Like, unbelievable news. You're not going to believe it. I'm like, what? What? He's like, my family won Lotto 649. I'm like, that is so amazing. Can you buy me something? That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. He's like, you're so gullible. I didn't win 649. I'm like, but you, you, you said you did. And then like several months later, he comes up to me one morning and he's just like, sliding down the hallway at school, and I'm like, what's wrong? What are you, what's going on? He says, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm like, okay, 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 I'll tell you. I don't tell anybody else. Okay. He's like, my dad got arrested for murder last night. I'm like, wow, dude, that's so harsh. I'm so sorry. What could I, you're so gullible. My dad didn't get arrested for murder. I'm like, you're so weird. Like, you tell me those things and I don't know, I just assumed you were maybe telling the truth. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a bit of a lighthearted example of treacherous people. 
treacherous people kind of bank on the fact that for you and me, we just assume that when somebody says something, they mean it. So a treacherous person gets married and they stand up and they say, I'm gonna be faithful to you till my last breath. And the person that they're getting married to assumes, I don't know, they're telling the truth. But a treacherous person is already looking for a better option. Now again, let me repeat. Hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all struggle, we all stumble. A treacherous person is a little different though because they're never, like, they're not planning to be free. They're not, they're not planning to do what they told you that they're going to do. That's a treacherous person. A treacherous person who says, um, I'm your friend. I am your friend, you can count on me, but you can't. If it's to their own benefit to turn their back on you, to betray you, to slander you, they will do it in a heartbeat. A treacherous person is somebody who walks through life uh, doing business in a lose-win mentality. They don't feel like they can win at business unless you lose. So you do business with a treacherous person, you just know they're gonna look to make sure you are beat down and you lose by the end of it. And, and I thought of the word treacherous, treacherous, treacherous. What does that look like in our church? Well, I guess individually it could just look like we're not who we say we are individually. But what about collectively? I thought and thought about it. Because again, like I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I wanna be terrible, that's my goal. But it happens little by little. And I thought about it, and I was thinking about it at first service, and I saw somebody sitting in the second row, and, and I see somebody sitting here today, and there's this shirts that we had made, and the shirts say, we are for this city. You ever seen those? We are for this city. How could we begin to get treacherous? I think we could just forget that. Like, forget the fact that God placed us here to make a difference. Forget the fact that we really, really, truly believe that marriages in our world are gonna be just a little bit better because Southside Church exists. That families in our world are gonna be just a little bit more united because Southside Church exists. That, 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 that people are gonna be changing and moving more towards the plan that Jesus has for their life because Southside Church exists. That, that people who are struggling and broken and going through incredibly difficult situations, that they would actually find help because Southside Church exists. And yet I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, could it ever happen? Surely not. But could it ever happen? The terrible reality that slowly over time we would forget that. And then it hit me. No. I don't think so because I think it's not in our DNA. So I was wondering how to close this service. Paul says that when you're terrible, you have this form of godliness, but deny its power. So you got the whole world full of, full of people looking at the church and going, man, we don't wanna see you perfect, but we just wanna see some power, we just wanna see some power, we just wanna see some power. The Holy Spirit power made manifest in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, and it hit me, that's us. We're not perfect, but man, we're powerful. And I thought of something. About 12 years before the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he wrote another letter to a church in a city called Corinth. And we know it as the 
New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And I, and I think he, he wrote a section in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 that I really, really think describes us. And so what I want to ask you to do right now is I want to ask you to stand. And I want to declare this over you and over me. So as I, as I speak this, every time you hear the word love, I would love it if you could insert your name. Just in your mind, okay? Because I think this is about you. I think this is the vision that God has for your life. I think this is the vision that God has for my life. I think this is the vision that God has for our life. And it's really inspiring. Wait till you hear it. I, I wonder, maybe you've heard it before. First Corinthians 13, you know? But it's pretty cool. Oh, and by the way, it's busy in here, right? It's busy. It's busy out in the parking lot. I know, I get it. And so there's a temptation as we kind of hit the... I only have about an hour and 10 minutes left in my sermon at this point. So as we, as we kind of hit the finishing stretch, it's tempting to say, hey, I'm going to jet. Uh, do me a favor. And some already are. Okay. So do me a favor. <laughs> I feel bad because I want to do it when no one was leaving so they don't feel bad. But anyways, stick around if you can. I'm praying for you. We all need prayer. But maybe if, if you feel like you don't need any prayer today, maybe, maybe pray, for, pray for somebody else in this time. Okay. So when I say love, you're thinking you. Did I say that already? If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and I even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. So as we close today, just wanna ask you a, a question, just you and me, whether you're online or in person right now. Maybe as I've been speaking today, you've realized that you've kind of been living your life as if it's up to you to save you, or it's up to money to save you, or it's up to pleasure to save you, or it's up to pride to save you, or it's up to whatever to save you, and today you realize, man, I'm not equipped for that job. Same here, I get it, I'm not either. And that's why the good news is so good, that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he came and he died and he rose again for you, everything that you need for him to breathe the breath of life and to make you fully, completely, and totally spiritually alive, he has already done. The next step is just yours, just to accept what he already did. So whether you're online or in person right now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, if today is the day you wanna say, yes, Jesus, I need your help, it's already there, I accept it, could you raise your hand right now because I wanna pray for you right in this moment, nice and high if you don't mind. That's great, it's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. 
So whether you're online or in person right now, you can put your hand down and I'm gonna pray out loud and I just would ask if you could just pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Today I wanna be brand new. I pray that you would breathe the breath of life, that I would become fully, completely, totally spiritually alive. Thank you that you died. Thank you that you rose again. I accept your forgiveness. I'm so thankful for it. That you would give me life and that you would give me freedom today, tomorrow, and forever. And for all of us, God, whether we've been attending church our whole lives or this is our second or third, whatever, God, I just pray what is already true of us spiritually would play out in our mind, in our will, and our emotions. And that our family wouldn't see us perfect, that our neighbors wouldn't see us perfect, that our friends wouldn't see us perfect, but they would see your power working in our lives. And it would change them and it would inspire them. We thank you for your love that we receive it and we get to pour it out on others. We pray all this in your name, amen. Let's celebrate. <laughs> Next week we jump into the last chapter of the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. You are gonna love it. Hey, thank you for hanging out all the way to the end. I love you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.